Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Unit 29 of the notorious Mississippi State Prison at Parchman, which houses 1,000 inmates, was the site of lethal violence that occurred recently in prisons across the state. In June, a health inspector confirmed the dire conditions in Unit 29. For example, one cell was missing a light bulb and was infested with rats and cockroaches. Another cell had no electricity or water in the sink faucets and black mold covered the shower. The Mississippi Department of Corrections, or MDOC, finally deemed Unit 29 unsafe because of its age and general deterioration. MDOC officials are asking state lawmakers for over $22 million to repair the unit. Officials are looking for somewhere else to house the Unit 29 inmates. 375 inmates are being housed temporarily in a prison operated by the private, for-profit prison firm CoreCivic. That leaves the rest of the prisoners in Unit 29 with no place to go. Parchman was the site of another prisoner death just earlier this week, bringing the total of inmate deaths to seven this month alone. The Atlanta chapter of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee put out the following request for solidarity with a group of hunger strikers in North Carolina. Quote, 16 folks incarcerated at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina, are going on a hunger strike starting Monday, January 20th, 2020, in an act of solidarity with the 200 prisoners being tortured in Unit 1, a mental health unit. They need your help to make the calls starting on Monday, January 20th. In Unit 1 at Central Prison, guards are daily using chemical mace against both Level 2 and Level 3 mental health prisoners. Guards are trigger-happy and deploy an excessive amount onto the prisoner's small cell at the slightest disagreement. Pursuant to Chapter F, Section 1504, Procedure D, quote, an officer is prohibited from using force solely as a result of verbal provocation. An officer shall not use force against an offender who has abandoned his or her resistance or who is effectively restrained. The use of force as punishment is strictly prohibited. Unquote. They go on to say that medical staff continue to show deliberate indifference to the needs of the prisoners housed in Unit 1. Several prisoners are not receiving their self-meds. These are medications that are given out monthly that prisoners keep in their cells. These meds are, but not limited to, blood pressure meds and high cholesterol meds, etc. To receive these meds, the prisoner submits a medication refill request. The medical staff has neglected to submit the requests, therefore leaving several prisoners without their meds. It takes months to be even seen by medical staff when a sick call is submitted. Prisoners are not receiving adequate health care. Prisoners are compelled to endure illnesses for months before being seen by medical staff. This medical neglect and excessive use of force towards the most vulnerable population in Central Prison is cruel and unusual torture and is a human rights violation. They say that if you're concerned, you should call 919-733-0800 for Central Prison, request to speak with Deputy Warden Stephen Waddell, Unit 1 Manager Tenbrook, and or medical personnel, or call 919-838-4000 for the DPS office, request to speak with Commissioner Todd Ishii and or Gary Junker. This week's episode continues our set of conversations with Valrice Wap Cooper, the legendary cornerman who learned his craft training prisoners in the Louisiana DOC's boxing program. For this episode, we discuss how he got into the game, the politics behind such programs as PAL, or Police Athletic League, and what it takes to succeed as a trainer and as a fighter, both inside and outside prison. 
This conversation took place in December 2019 at Uppercuts, a boxing gym and barbershop in Harvey, Louisiana. My first introduction to boxing. They would come out to the projects, right? And, yes, and the police folks used to come around with a sports event. They used yeah. to set a, a, a ring for amateurs. Just put the gloves on. It's yeah. like a tough man stuff. Get little boys, put, I was like eight, nine years old. They put the glove on, go fight. Not even teaching you anything. Yeah, like no, no, it wasn't no teeth. And yeah. no, it, was, it was just for that. It was just to, to give youngsters something about boxing. You know, they used to Teaching them the, the values of boxing. Yeah, just go in there you and know, fight. If you want to fight, whatever. keep you from more fighting school. Yeah. Keep you from more fighting. Yeah, and in that you sense, I, I, I mean, I think you see this throughout the history of boxing. You see the the way that it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing and it's like... It makes you feel good and confident and instills a lot of interesting values, but then at the same time, it's used as a tool to, to kind of control certain populations. Yes. And, and even before they expanded in the prison system, they were already doing this in the projects, actually all over the country, because I've, yeah. you know, I've heard um, numerous people from that generation talk about how they got their start in the inner city through the police programs. Yeah. Um, you know, but the police took it to a whole other level now because they got what you call a power. Mm-hmm. The police athletic league, all right, you call it the PAL. They ain't brought it to a whole nother level now. But when it started, the police athletic league was no more than little, little. Man, let's go set the ring up over there. Let's go set it up and yeah. down these inner cities. But now, you got PAL program institutions all over the country now. It, when I look back on it, I think it, 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 it was a good thing. But I think it's, uh, when I look back on it, I think perhaps maybe if they would have instituted in a more formal way. It could have kept a lot of youngsters like myself motivated towards something, becoming good at something, but it wasn't, it wasn't no more than a tough man competition. That's all that was at that yeah. time. When I, when I was trying to write about it, one thing I really tried to, tried to avoid, because this is, you know, so much of what I wrote is just based on stories you told me. But one of the things I really tried to do was avoid calling anything good or bad and yeah. just recognizing yeah, that. Yeah, just recognizing this, for what it is. There's just a tension. There's a tension in this. There's a pull in multiple directions here. And it's an interesting thing for that, you know, to, to, to look at the, the good and the bad that are, yeah. that are existing Some within this. Some things is meant for the moment. Yeah. In other words, it's meant to serve its purpose in the moment. It, even when you consider me doing it, it eventually led me to boxing. Mm-hmm. That, that, that little participation right there, eventually... My man, too spoke growing up was football and basketball, and I played both of them well. And who knows where I would have been, professional, college level? Who knows? I was I was that good. But at the same time, even though I participated in the tough man boxing thing, and boxing became my passion over years of being around the sport, of being in the sport, it became my passion, but... If have I not had that exposure back when I was eight, nine years old, mm-hmm. could it have ultimately led me to box? Yeah, yeah, that might have been the seed. That. You see what yeah. I'm saying? So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you were in Angola for until the early 90s, right? And then... No, I, I, yes, I, you know, I went to Angola in 76, uh-huh. and I, came, I left Angola and... December of two, uh, 1999. Okay, and then you, you were transferred to DCI? 
and this is side 12 years and that's when you started training full full flesh training okay that's when I started training full flesh that's when I committed and that's that's when you got engaged in the in the LIBA yes that's that's when I went to DCI that's when I um I I, I see even the participating I had in boxing and in Angola when I first went up there as mm. a featherweight, even, even, even uh, going to Angola in, in 76 and participating briefly into the Angola program in 76, my passion was there, but I, 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 I even in 76, my passion was there, but circumstances didn't allow me to finish what, 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 what my passion was. So life goes on. So when I actually spent all them years in D- in Angola and got transferred to DCI in December of 1999, coming into 2000, I had uh, I, I I got to DCI and I seen the program, the boxing program was 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 nice. Yeah, was was nice. And I'm like, wow, man, I I like be so I knew an old timer. I knew an old timer from Angola for many years. He was a trainer in DCI. He was about to go home, and I used to go out there when he was messing with the fighters. And I, and and he told me and him had a discussion. He said, "Man, I'm about to go." He said, "Wow, I'm gonna talk to the man to make you take my place." I said, man, really? See, I was a dietitianary cook at that time. Oh, okay. But I still used to go out there with him. He was the uh, trainer. He was the he was the trainer. So uh, so you took over for him. So when he went home, he talked to the man and had me put on the boxing team to replace him. I took his place on the boxing team. He got me on the boxing team. From there, like they say, the rest is history. Is there anything you want to say about the the structure of the the boxing league? I mean, I, I heard about boxing in Louisiana prisons actually like ten years ago or something. And it's a very organized league. Yeah, and and at first I thought it was just total gladiator. Like it's not and, like that. Yeah, it's and, like if you go to the national yeah. tournament, it's actually an organized, well it's organized machine. under the rules of Louisiana Amateur Boxing Association. First of all, USA Amateur Boxing is the is the body of Amateur Boxing anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is the body, the bylaws of the USA Amateur Boxing League. The body of bylaws, all Amateur Boxing got to go up on, including the Louisiana Boxing Association, the LIBA, uh, the USA Southern Boxing Association, and Louisiana fall up under the USA Southern Boxing Association bylaws. So any participation in any boxing, amateur boxing, got to come up under the old bylaw. If you, I don't care where you at in Louisiana. If you institute amateur boxing, you coming up under the bylaw of the of USA Amateur Boxing, because USA Southern Boxing Association, the Mid South, is where we at. You got to go through to organize that league according to the bylaws. As, as you, a person never been to a prison boxing match. If you go to a, a, a prison match out here on the street, and then you decide to go to one in prison, 
you're going to see there is no different. They organize with the same structure. You got judges, officials, referees. You got everything. Right. You got time clock, bell, everything. Yeah. It's, well, you don't got a bunch of CEOs at the no, at no, the no, regular no, no. One, but, you, know. you, you got a very well organized. But it's amateur box. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the and the fights too go towards their Ten amateur points. records. Is that correct? Well, it can, yeah. it can. Like, if, like I had many fighters that that fought in prison that came out and had successful amateur and pro careers. Mm -hmm. So the amateur record. But here's the catch: like I had a fighter that was twenty and one, thirty and one, sixty-seven and one. So on and so forth. When they come out here, they're novices. They're novices. So they ain't never had no fight out here. So you got to sign up out here to be to participate in USAM boxing. So to what extent is the fights that you had in in prison um, tallied towards or recognized by? They'll recognize your out. record. But but see, that's the advantage you have. Because if you was a champion in prison, you come out here. It, you don't got to say anything. You don't have to say nothing. You still a novice because you ain't never fought legally out here. Right. Once you fight out here legally, and and, and people recognize you at these fights, they gonna know you been fighting. Where is gonna get around? What they gonna see from the <laughs> way you fight that yeah. you ain't no novice. And by them seeing that you ain't no novice, you you the cat been let out the bag. Right, right, right. They're going to respect the fact that you was a former champion in prison. Right. That you 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 don't like the skill. Yeah. So you can compete at the highest level out here. Yeah. You could go to the tournament. You could go to the National Olympic Trial, Golden Glove, Pan American Game. You can hold your own. And most fighters I trained had successful careers in that and they had successful careers out here. Right. And, and, uh, and, and one thing I... That kind of took me by surprise when I started like going to fights and and looking at the schedule and everything. Is there's a lot. The schedule is it's like 13, 14 events. It's every month. Yeah, every, and sometimes it's twice a month. Sometimes twice. Yeah. A month. So, but it's still it's still the season's ten or eleven months long, yes. and the the fights rotate between prisons. Different mm -hmm. prisons host different fights every month. And that's the beauty about it, though, going from institution to institution, fight. Every right. institution, like if DCI hold it this month, Angola hold it next month. The fact of the matter is, see, let me tell you something. A lot of trainers that was at other institutions while I was training at DCI, I'm, I'm gonna say psychologically they more stronger than me in this sense. If somebody was training fighters to beat my fighter ass every month, over and over and over again. I would question myself. Either I'm going to make you be a champion or I'm going to leave this folk alone. But I'm going to refuse to keep going up every month, every month, and you ain't winning the belt. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And even though we was a dynasty, I, I trained many champions in prison. But... I, I got respect for a lot of trainers I competed against because the more my fighter was defeating them, the more they came. The more they, they didn't quit, they didn't yeah. come. And and even though we was a dynasty and we held most of the belts all the time. Yeah, and that's that's 
for the record, that's what you mean by dynasty. When yes. you were when you were training for the uh, DCI Gunslingers, yes, y'all were holding most of the belts, most of the belt all the time, for, year yeah, yeah, for like a decade, yeah. Yeah. And and this is during the same period that this guy we just talking about, Flag, who's in the other room. Yeah. He just got out last week, actually, or December, week before last, December twenty sixth. He'd been in for a minute. Twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah, and, and he's he's here right now at uh Uppercuts where we're recording this, Uppercuts Barber yeah, and, and, and Boxing Club. And I mean, just as an aside, like I think that's that's sick. I and I you know, training here, one of the best things about it is people they get out or, you know, they've done time before and everybody feels real comfortable here. And it's a really good, you know, it's it's a space that people know they can they can come to who, like, love boxing but also have those experiences. Yeah. Go on, though, with the uh, the dynasty. What, what the dynasty started in 2000. We started the dynasty. Most of the champions, they got nine belts in the league from featherweight to super heavyweight. Through the dynasty years of DCI Gunslingers, we had most of them. The most we had were eight. We should have had all nine of them, but we missed one. It, it was a historic moment. We missed one of them, the super heavyweight belt that night because of some unspoken-like stuff. But we had all nine of them in a the bag, and, took, and nobody never had all nine of them. I mean, that's crazy. But we had eight of them. We had eight of the belts. So most... So the dynasty year was, people were trying to figure out whether we was on steroids, yeah. whether we was on hype, whether we was on nothing. Yeah, a lot of dudes who, who you worked with, Brad Solomon, was he was he in there? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so so these are guys you trained that, that you know, when they got out, uh, went on to have really impressive successful boxing career, pro careers. Brad Solomon, he won the WBA title. He won or WBC. WBA, WBC yeah. intern. And uh, Golden Gloves. And uh, yeah, Babyface uh, has had a killer career. And he was just on um, The Contender and did really good. Came in second place. It was obviously just like a... It, y'all had y'all had that team. We had that dynasty, <laughs> and, and, and and see the dynasty in DCI was that people were trying to figure out what we was on something or we was taking some. Shit. No, we trained. Yeah, your we, we work. We put that work in, man. The fact that we put the work in, it was a testament to our dedication. Most of the league, and then we was younger than most of the league. Most of the league was was guys that was. Getting up in the right. And that's a little bit of an advantage that and, DCI and had was a lot of the younger prisoners. It had you. Up there. Yeah. It had you. You could go there and, and groom a fighter from young age. And by the time he right. he makes seventeen years old, he's a he's a, already a champion. So yeah. So I did that a few times. About, uh, I want to I want to talk about another one of your trainees is uh, Boosie. We Boosie badass as a well, trainer we, a little bit. You work we, with him a little bit. Yeah, well, when Boosie was up there, Boosie used to do things for fitness. He used to pump iron. He used to work out with the boxes. Yeah, and, he came out swole. Yeah, he used to work out. He used to yeah. stay in physical shape. Yeah, you know? I, I remember when he came out, he was a lot bigger than when yeah, he went so in. He, Boosie used to train with the fighters, hang with the fighters because. 
him and him and and, and, and Brian Johnson was best partners, you know. So, uh, so he he used to go on the iron pile, get physical fit, and and work out with some of the boxes. So naturally, I laid him to me, you know. He he'd get on there, I make him hit the miss. Yeah, stay. It was all for physical shape for his physical fitness. He did well. And he became like you say, he be got a little swole, got right. in a little shape. Yeah, he uh, he did a song when he got out, just repping all his friends basically. And he he uh, he mentions Babyface doing doing pads with Babyface in the yard. Yeah, you know. Uh, so he, he he used to, <laughs> he, he, but it was a, it was a good time, and, and I was glad I was glad I I, I befriended him. We became friends. I was glad that he was able to keep himself physically fit, and he came out. And he was in the health, good health. He was in the shape of his life. When Boosie came out, Boosie was swole yeah. in the shape of his life, you know? So it, at that time when he hang, hung around all the DCI gunslingers, mm. that that would, he was about yeah. getting his body in shape. Yeah, he got on the health trip. Yeah, preparing himself for Which when is, he go back on stage, uh, yeah. or when he go back to his oh, which world. He, which he did immediately yeah. when he got out. Yeah. He was back on the circuit. Uh, you know, on the one side, uh, this was like a real health trip to be in this situation and to, you know, have this program at your disposal, have an opportunity to build yourself up against this, you know, impossible circumstance that is present, this hellish, you know, terrible situation. On the other side of that, like, actually still getting over and still having to deal with uh, terrible abuses even as a boxer like mm -hmm. you were telling me about you know some some fighters get sent to the hole uh, for losing fights or for costing costing people bets uh, I, will, I, I was one of the most hated trainers in DCI but also one of the most respected if you don't know about boxing if you don't know what it take to put your life on a line in that ring then you ain't got no right to tell box anything outside the ring, especially dealing with something he putting his life, he or she putting their life on the line for. If you don't know what it feel like to be in that position, you ain't got no right to tell them nothing or uh, try to abuse them, ridicule them, win, lose, or draw. You ain't, you ain't got no right to tell them anything. So you got to... Tilt your hat to the men that's in prison that participating in boxing, because it's, it's more to it than just them participating in boxing. They putting a, they they in a war with themselves. They putting a lot aside. They accepting a lot of bull, and only wanting to box would be able to make them accept that. So I don't believe in you getting a point cross to no boxer if he lose, you lock him up. Or you lose, you get mad, or whatever bet you had, you lock him up. No, you ain't gonna use the hard work and dedication I put in a fighter for your little foolishness. Right. So. But but yeah, for the record, I mean that that's something that would go on, and that was something that you had to push I, back against. Yes, I had to push back again, and 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 I was hated for it. Right. By the established code. Yeah. I was hated for it. By the wardens and. Yes, I was hated for it because. Uh, I feel like you don't know what these guys go through in their personal life. You don't know what they go through in their dedication. You don't know what they go through 
the blood, sweat, and tears they're putting in, yeah. the, 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 the discipline I'm getting out of them, the daily progress, changing their life that I'm getting out of them, I'm being that influence over them. Why? So as I'm getting this out of them, what I look like that you, just because they fail, I, I think a failure yeah. is a is 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 a is is the greatest access a boxer has. His failure is his greatest access. Yeah. So you punishing him for failure. I of nothing because of a failure. I use his failure to motivate him to a greater fighter, a greater person. But if you gonna beat him down the head because he failed. When we go to a fight and you come back and you tell me you locking the fighters up, you locking this person up, you locking up, he should have been. You totally disregarding the trainer hard work, the fighter hard work, and a relationship between the fighter and the trainer. You totally, you totally disrespecting that. Because you're saying, I don't know how to do my job, first of all. And you're saying you know more than me and you don't know shit. Why are you going to punish a fighter for losing? Why you gonna ridicule a, a fighter for looting and lock him up and all that crazy stuff? No, I didn't go for that. I didn't go for that because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fighter's trainer. Even though y'all was the wall and you was the current, I'm a fighter's trainer. Fighters first. My relationship with the fighter is crucial to his development as a champion. That relationship with me is is all. I'm God, country, mother, father, everything. When you're in that ring, your hand is in your life is in my hand, not the world, not the corner, not anybody else. When you're in that ring, to what degree you in Corona, what the hell I gave you to be a success? So in that sense, you 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 felt you felt an imperative to you know yeah to, to act to be, act when a warden or because is I, interfering with because uh, I don't have to get I'm mentality. getting all this dedication out of him. Yeah. I don't have to get this dedication. He don't have to give me that dedication. But the fact that he respect and look up to me and believe in me to give him the skills to win, who is you to question that? And you not even in boxing. DCI had one of the most greatest amateur boxing program ever in DOC, DCI. But DCI got a problem recognizing the hard work and dedication of the men that put on these shows that train themselves day in and day out or the trainers that train themselves day in and day out. DC, I have a problem recognizing the hard work and dedication that these men, trainers and fighters, put in every day, every day, all day to make DCI the best amateur boxing show ever. Period. DC, I have a problem with these men that committed themselves to be fighters. The hard work and dedication. They don't never go recognized for that hard work. Especially the trainers. They don't, they, they, you, DC, I, unlike in Angola, when fighters and trainers do get the, 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 the recognition for the hard work and dedication they put in. Because without the trainers, you will have no boxing club. Better yet, better yet, what have you done for them lately? How is their team doing lately? Yeah, not good. Not good, right? <laughs> so trainers make a difference, right? Yeah, oh yeah, man. And you, you talked to me about how you had been, uh, you got kicked off the team. 
Yeah, I got kicked out of the team for speaking up for the fighter. Yeah. I got kicked out more than once. Right, but they kept having to bring you back because the Warriors will want to win another fight. Because most of the champions on the team was mine. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kiteLineradio.noblogs.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.